Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, happy Monday. What's <laughs> up? I, I was mean, gonna say what hello a... and I just went to happy and I went what? to hella happy. Well, what a way to start a Monday <laughs> show, huh? I think I that's how everyone feels on Mondays. <laughs> Let's just say. Let's just put it out there. That's basically how everyone feels. I mean, I had a great weekend, though, I must say. And I feel energized going into this week. I did do a panel with Macy Gray. Me and Macy Gray, the musician, yeah. we're BFFs now. You know, it is a cool flex, but also, you know, it's it's Macy Gray. If she hangs out with you, is it actually really cool for a flex? I'm thinking it is. <laughs> now, what was the panel about? NFTs? It was about NFTs and oh, music. Of course She's it was. She's actually going to be uh, launching a new album and doing some NFTs with it soon. So that Did she be hire cool. you as her publicist as well? No, but <laughs> might as well be. But no, it is pretty cool. I mean, you're like texting Macy Gray. Yeah, it's been it's been cool. And I was in San Diego, which was nice. You went to San Diego? I drove there for a few hours yesterday and came back what as is my life right now but all good you know you are busy as well yeah i don't even know what i did Uh, (laughs) yeah i don't even know what i did if i'm being honest i um i had a friend's birthday thing this weekend which was really nice it was on the beach we had a sound healer it was beautiful yes and um yeah that was basically it sunday i i did nothing i went to brunch and then i realized my body was telling me you are tired the bars can wait you don't have to go out, relax at home. And so that's exactly what I did, and I slept the that's entire good. rest of the day. You need, Had a late brunch and then it. went back home to sleep. Good. If you're, Don't wait for your body to fall apart. Yeah. Take that rest that you need. And I feel wonderful, darling. Amazing. Well, we've got a lot coming up on the show. Is Elon Musk taking over Twitter? NBC News joins us next hour for that. We've got your weekly root cap at 4.20 p.m. Pacific, 7.20 p.m. Eastern. And in 15 minutes, what you need to know about a large and ongoing meningitis outbreak in Florida among gay and bisexual men. First, though, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Charlie Cora, Disney and heir to the Disney fortune, has come out as transgender and is speaking up against Florida's HB 1557, better known as the Don't Say Gay Law. Their new public activism comes, of course, as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis picked a fight with the corporation over its opposition to the law. Carly is a high school biology and environmental science teacher, and they're also the 30-year-old great-grandchild of Walt Disney. Their parents, Roy and Sherry Disney, just announced that they're donating $500,000 to the HRC. And now they're putting themselves on the front line, speaking out to the press. And they told Robin uh, Abkarian at the LA Times, I feel like I don't do very much to help. I don't call senators or take action. I felt like I could be doing more. And that was my wonder, if they, if it was a little too late that they're now trying to like come in and actually say, because this has been going on, I mean, for a while, just as with Disney in the conversation. Oh, yeah. And so I guess... Too late's never a thing, you know, or never too late, you know? Sometimes it is too little too late, yeah. but maybe it's almost like they didn't realize how bad it would get. Like, they thought, I don't know, it's weird. When you're in your own bubble, yeah, exactly. that's what happens. Totally. Now, President Biden, in conjunction with the Department of Justice, announced a new measure today to crack down on what law enforcement say is the growing problem of ghost guns and called on Congress to pass universal background checks. To pass universal background checks. Universal background check. And I know it's controversial, but I got it done once. Ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. I was getting criticized when I first passed this law when I was a senator. 
And guess what? I was down in southern Delaware, do a lot of hunting and fishing down there. And I was walking up one of the creek beds. Mm. And the guy standing there said, you want to take my gun? I said, I don't take your gun. He said, well, you're telling me I can't have more than the next number of bullets in, a, in, 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 a, in my gun. And I said, what do you think the deer you're hunting are wear Kevlar vests? What the hell do you need 20 bullets for? You must be a hell of a terrible shot. <laughs> I'm serious. Think about it. Think about the mass shootings. As many as 100 rounds. It's a weapon of war. Yes, passion from Biden. It's what we need, including for something like that. And finally, Tennessee Republicans introduced a bill that completely eliminates the age requirements for marriage. What? <laughs> Leaving a loophole that will make it legal for anyone to marry a child. What? And the criminal justice system would be unable to step in. Oh, my God. Tennessee, uh, please. Republicans, yeah. please. Republican uh. State Representative Tom Leatherwood said, I've seen a change in the tide, and if there's any hostility, it's against those people who do believe marriage comes from God, not from government, and do believe it's between a man I, and a woman. I wonder, is Marjorie Taylor Greene going to now, like, turn the tables and call uh, the, the people a part of her party the pedophiles that she likes to call everyone oh. else? Because oh. that's what this is giving. We need like a stand-up news hour because you can't make this up. Current Tennessee law states that you can get married as young as 17 if you have parental consent. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Well, we got a lot to talk about because JoJo Siwa was not invited to the 2022 Kids' Choice Awards. Uh, and she's actually speaking out. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So, yeah, she's saying she wasn't invited to the award show. Here is what she had to say. A lot of you have been asking me why I'm not at the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards tonight, and the answer is very simple. I wasn't invited. I'm not sure why, but I just didn't get an invite. Now, upon hearing the news, uh, JoJo's fan, uh, fans and friends quickly took to social media to share their support for the Dancing with the Stars alum and to voice their theories about her absence. Olivia Jade with Molly Gray added, they're lost sweetness and uh, probably because you are the color of the rainbow and they're just orange because it's Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah. um, yeah, also, that. fellow Dancing with the Stars alum Brian Austin Green shared similar sentiments, writing, F the Kids' Choice Awards, you are too good for them. Other fans argued that JoJo was included because she came out as gay last year and more recently has a new look. She chopped off her hair and her signature pony to reveal a pixie cut. I mean, it, it is pretty shocking to know that she was not invited to the Kids' Choice Awards with her connection to Nickelodeon and just, I mean, children in general. Yeah, and if you're going to be nominating someone, you should probably invite them. You're going to be using their name to yeah. promote everything. Which, and so it's just sad to see, but oh. that's your tea report. She had called out Nickelodeon in September 2021. Yeah, yeah she did have a very contentious race. Yeah. yeah. They do. Um, but that is your tea report. Uh, you're, we got more coming up next hour, which actually is all about a baby announcement. Oh, yeah. Okay. A celebrity just dropped that oh, they're like, having a baby. And I said, you're pregnant? And someone, everyone is kind of confused. It's Britney Spears. So, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. That's coming up next. Okay. Next up on the show, the CDC is warning of a large ongoing meningitis outbreak in Florida among gay and bisexual men. What you need to know next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So, Florida seems to have a meningitis issue, and it's impacting a lot of the community. The CDC is urging gay and bisexual men to get the meningitis vaccine after an outbreak in Florida has led to an increase in cases. You know what? I hate that all the, the queer folks in Florida are just going through it left and right, but maybe it's time for them to get the hell up out of Florida because they don't. They barely want to say gay. So maybe you... It's, they're pushing people out. It seems, it seems like the plague is happening in Florida. Right. Uh, so joining us to explain what's actually happening, what to look out for, is Dr. James Simmons. Welcome back. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I feel for uh, the family in Florida. They're really going through it, huh? I know. Yeah. But meningitis, fa this, this feels wild. I feel like that is coming out of nowhere. Yeah, it really can. It really is kind of coming out of nowhere. It, it does seem that we get these meningitis outbreaks periodically. And unfortunately, they happen, um, you know, often in communities that, uh, you know, we don't want them to, particularly like immunocompromised folks, folks um, who have HIV. Colleges and universities is where we typically see it the most. And then this particular outbreak in Florida is actually happening among generally cisgender identified men who have sex with men. And 
if you're not familiar, meningitis can kind of come in two different ways. It's viral or bacterial. This happens to be bacterial meningitis. And bacterial meningitis is very, very, um, it's bad. <laughs> it's really dangerous. It can result in, in an inflammation of the meninges, which is sort of like the fluid and the layer that covers your spinal cord and your brain. And it's really, really awful if it gets to that point. It can also infect your bloodstream. So you can get the meningitis, this particular bacteria, in your actual bloodstream and really, really make you tremendously sick. So even when we have an outbreak like this one, which is generally smaller, health departments are very, very quick to sort of alert everyone. Any communities being involved involved with this, that there's a potential outbreak and people really need to do what they can to protect themselves. Yeah, because for every 100 people who contract it, 10 to 15 will die, according to the CDC, which is really scary. So what are the symptoms? What should people look out for? Yeah, aren't those numbers scary? It's a, yeah. got a real, unfortunately, really high mortality rate. So there's a couple of really classic symptoms that can come along with meningitis uh, or a uh, meningococcal infection, as we should say. So fever, really rapid onset headache, and things that feel initially like flu. So you might have a runny nose. You're definitely going to feel sort of worn down and tired. And then interestingly, neck stiffness. That's sort of a key uh, symptom that we look for. So if you have all of a sudden a really stiff neck, along with a fever, headache, and what feel like sort of early flu-like symptoms, you should absolutely get checked out right away because meningitis or meningococcal infection is something that we need to treat as early as possible so that we have better outcomes and you don't become one of those 10 or 15 people who unfortunately can die from this. So in what ways, because obviously everything you just listed is so severe, um, when it comes to someone living with HIV, I'm assuming that's just even twice, can be twice as harmful to someone's body uh, when, it, when they're dealing with both. Yeah, people who, who have HIV, and I, I want to be really clear, people who have HIV who are not on therapy and maybe have a higher, higher viral load or a lower CD4 count. So those individuals are obviously at, at much, much, much higher risk of having really bad outcomes if they get a meningococcal disease. Um, other folks who have any sort of uh, compromised immune system period um, can really, really be a threat to this. This is, it's not something we hear a ton about. We get these little outbreaks here and there, but they can be really, really serious for the people that are infected by them. So, you know, folks who have HIV, if you're on your meds, if you've got a really great provider, you feel like you might have been exposed or in, an, in you know, this part of Florida where this little outbreak is happening, it's super important that you talk to your provider about the, your vaccination status for meningitis. We generally vaccinate younger folks. So there's like a vaccine series for meningitis B and a vaccine series for meningitis A, C, W, and Y. Kind of a long story to explain both of those. But if you have HIV, it's really important that you get vaccinated, particularly against the second one, meningitis A, C, W, and Y, which is the sero strain that they think is passing through this group in Florida. Um, so either way, whether you're in Florida or not, if you have HIV and you have not been vaccinated for meningitis, please talk to your provider about this because it is a fantastic way to protect you against this really, really deadly disease. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all of that. That was Dr. James Simmons at Ask the NP everywhere on social media. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. Y'all too. Okay, well, what's coming up next, Ryan? Yeah, so, you know, after Biden, uh, President Biden's big announcement about uh, pausing student loan payments again for the fourth time, Congress isn't really satisfied, and that doesn't mean, you know, and that means Democrats and the GOP. Find out more because we have a political commentator joining us to break it all down. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. Now, student loan borrowers are likely grateful for the extra four months of relief that President Joe Biden just gave them, but lawmakers in Congress wanted the president to do either more or less, depending on what side of the aisle you fall on. So was this a smart decision for the Biden administration? Well, we have Jackie Coppell, who is a political commentator on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So there's, you know, obviously so much going on in student loan. Uh, student loans feel like they are becoming more and more of the center of the conversation when it comes to how, you know, either Democrats want this to be handled versus how Republicans want this to be handled. Can you break sure. down both sides of the argument here? Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty pretty simple and stark, right? Democrats want a continued, continued relief and Republicans, you know, in effect, don't. 
um, and and both sides have arguments for why why they want that. Democrats want the relief. They say people need the relief that, you know, not only is the pandemic not over, but with rising inflation, people just don't have the money to start paying off these loans, even if they, you know, saved or still have stimulus money, that people are just in a far more precarious situation than perhaps was expected. Republicans say, you know, enough is enough. Either A, they're concerned that this, you know, sort of relief is going to continue to extend and, and maybe all of a sudden people, you know, Biden's going to, to relieve a lot a lot more in terms of loans and loan forgiveness. But also they're talking about a loss of revenue, which means taxpayers, you know, sort of down the line, that means, you know, the government has less money, therefore there's less money to, to give out. So there are, I think, you know, seemingly legitimate arguments on, on both sides of the aisle. It's not just, hey, we we feel X, Y, or Z one way or another, there are there are points that, that each side really has. Yeah. Now, along with this announcement last week that the ongoing payment pause on federal student loans would be extended for another few months, now, and this happened today, the U.S. Department of Education says it will move to pull millions of loan borrowers out of default and mark their accounts as current. What will that mean? And I guess they've pushed something through. Is that enough? <laughs> Well, if you ask some people, it's not enough, right? I mean, for 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 many people, student student debt is is the reason that they're not able to buy homes. It's the reason they're not able to invest. It it can you could argue it really holds people back, and therefore that actually has a negative impact on the economy because again, they're not going out and buying a home or another car. So you know that impacts that impacts the economy. You know, especially en masse, right? You're talking about billions and billions of dollars. Um, so for 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 some, it, it, it will be life-changing, right? Uh, but there is the counter-argument, which is who is responsible for footing this bill? And, you know, should taxpayers be responsible for, yeah. you know, paying for, for people's education? Yeah, Jackie Coppell is here with us, political commentator. And my only, especially when it comes to Republicans, I feel like Republican lawmakers feel like they act like their Republican voters didn't go to college and don't have student loan debt as well. And so, like, this could inherently be a win for them politically as well. So what's the, I don't understand what Republicans' arguments are against this. I mean, one Republican, uh, Rep. Representative Virginia Fox, the top Republican on the House Education Committee, called the latest extension outrageous, adding that she was worried it was setting the stage for blanket loan forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, for some some people who perhaps didn't go to school or, or you know, didn't want to, chose not to, couldn't, you know, they might not be so thrilled about having their tax dollars essentially used to pay for someone else's education. Uh, and, I, and, and you know, loan forgiveness, you are talking again about billions upon billions of dollars. Again, the argument that is being made is there's a loss of revenue and therefore tax break, taxpayers will have to uh, deal with the ramifications of that as well. Mm. So that's, you know, part of where it comes to it comes comes around uh, Richard Burr from North Carolina, he talked about, you know, he says, we want to talk about America's return following the pandemic, but we also keep extending these emergency relief policies. Mm. The argument being, are we really in a pandemic? Are we really in an emergency? Or are we actually moving out of it? And, you know, what is the line? Yeah, I mean, there's a pandemic, but there's also the student loan crisis that's been happening for a long time. I mean, so far, Biden has canceled about $17 billion worth of student debt for some groups of borrowers. But lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, um, they've argued that it, it's either too much, not enough, but it's a $1.7 trillion crisis. So yeah. I, I, I don't see personally it just going away. No. But... I mean, where do you see this going from here? And was this move strategic with, you know, his own uh, with the election coming up midterms. and midterms? Yeah. And also just in general where he is uh, in terms of popularity. Yeah. I mean, look, for, for people who have borrowed any any forgiveness, any delay, popular. Right. <laughs> uh, it probably also was a slight, you know, at least to some degree of political calculation. The midterms are coming and inflation is rising. So my guess is the Biden administration said, hey, let's buy ourselves a little bit more time, see if we can get inflation to be, you know, going back down, you know, improving, as it were. And then if, you know, if at that point we decide not to extend, the hit is not as bad. So what they're calculating is that they're saying, hey, let's give ourselves those four months to push for a turnaround on the inflation front. And hopefully that it's not necessarily arguably going to save people per se, 
but then they're not getting hit with inflation and repayment. They'd only been essentially being hit, quote unquote, with uh, with the repayment as inflation, as they hope, yeah. drops. Well, all right, Jackie Copel, thank you so much for being on the show to break all of this down because, honestly, I want us to figure something out because I wouldn't be impacted by it. Baby steps, yeah, I guess. You know? All right, yeah. that was Jackie. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And, and to be clear, it is about, you know, that move is about midterms, right? So voters are happier, and the hope is that that translates to votes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, that was Jackie Copel, political commentator. Um, sure, what's coming up next? After this, a new study that says which states handled COVID the best. But the question is... Is the study biased? We're going to get into it next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A new study reveals what states did better in handling COVID-19. The study published by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, which, by the way, on their site, Newt Gingrich is a big supporter. Oh. You know. Great crowd, huh? I I was trying to figure out where they lied, like, do they have the backing of Republicans or Democrats? It seems it's definitely more uh, Republican leaning, and that's no surprise because well, I think you can tell it by the just the name yes. of the <laughs> and, and also the branding is very red. Uh, but it's no surprise that the report card puts the states that are Republican-led states who had less lockdowns during the pandemic on top, and then those like New, New Jersey, New York, California, Illinois, Washington D.C. They gave an F grade. To all those states. Mm -hmm. Uh, They said they had high age-adjusted death rates. They had high unemployment, significant GDP losses. They kept their schools shut down much longer than almost all other states. So is that what they're basing this off of? How long schools were closed down instead of how many people probably died because of the lack of, like, actual, like, uh, safety requirements that they were regulating in their states? Like, is that what you're worried about? Well, they said it didn't make much of a difference. They actually compared Florida, which ranked 28th in mortality, and then California was only 27th. Let me also tell you, California is two and a half times the size of bigger than Florida. So the fact that it's one below says a lot. Uh, They also said keeping schools closed had no impact on the number of deaths in children or adults, according to the study. That's pretty embarrassing. So, I mean, this is like, obviously... Like, how is Tennessee ever in the green? <laughs> like, how is it, like... I mean, because it's all based in, like, like green is... I guess I'm green is, like, the best, and, and then it goes yeah. to, like, the worst. Red is it's the so worst. It's so funny. It, it, the, the places where you would think are, like, obviously, like, blue-leaning states, they're all red. They failed this thing, right? Yeah. But the greens, I mean, saying Tennessee and Florida, wow. That's embarrassing. The thing is, the question is, one, who put this together, which we know what group put it together, so the biases around that, and then what are you actually looking at? Because when you're looking at uh, whether it be GDP, economy, deaths, you also have to compare it, like, the size and population, right? If you're looking at everything as one-to-one, that doesn't really make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. Either way... I mean, whatever they want to continue to tell themselves to be delusional and let themselves feel like they are doing a good job, even though they're killing people and and, and, and were a part of the reason why we had so many folks die from this thing. Yeah, go ahead. Live in your little delusional utopia, but you're still awful. Well, I think it just shows the the press behind something like this, like the idea that, of course, there could be uh, super PACs and there could be studies like this and organizations that probably get a lot of money th- from the Republicans to do studies like this and then they release a, a, a press release that gets picked up by the New York Post that doesn't necessarily l- even look into the organization behind this right to say any of that stuff we all we yeah. all know where New York Post stands it's owned by News Corp but I looked at it I googled search and a lot of people are picking this up and I do think it is dangerous because then again it starts to create this narrative instead of looking at all the sides of it right yeah and sometimes all sides don't need to be shared (laughs) that's the hot take uh well next up on the show of course we've got what's trending this hour uh fauci is now saying it's up to americans to assess their own covid19 risk what did he exactly mean by that 
More on that in a state that is reinstating mask mandates next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back and more music coming up right here on Channel Q. But right now we've got more show. Should we be worried about Elon Musk owning a piece of Twitter? Well, I mean, there was a lot of drama about that yep. happening on Twitter last, like late last night, which was like also wild in itself. So this is like the stuff that I'm kind of interested in, yeah. just seeing the mess and the drama unfold. Well, we got NBC News digital culture reporter joining us for that in 30 minutes. Plus, a pop star is pregnant. The breaking news today. Ryan's got the tea in a moment. First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. A former Democratic lawmaker turned Trump-endorsed Republican congressional candidate has come out against LGBTQ rights. Here is Vernon Jones, who served in the Georgia State House of Representatives from 1993 to 2001 and 2017 to 2021, speaking out. can't tell me Dr. King supported abortions, late-term abortions. You can't tell me that Dr. King did not support traditional families. You cannot tell me that Dr. King didn't support uh, 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 just, you know, enforcing the law at our borders. Uh, civil rights and gay rights, let me tell you, civil rights for blacks and gay rights for gays are two different things. They say it's the same thing. But it's not the same thing. It is that, because you know what, I don't know what you are unless you tell me what you are if you're gay. But when I walk in that room, you can tell that I'm black. I'm black from cradle to grave. Let's not get that confused. But but they can actually change. You, you know, you can go from being straight to being gay to being transgender and all these other uh, genders. But when you're black, I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. So to compare the two. Let me tell you one, oh. one thing that Dr. King most definitely realized to these dense ass people who are so stupid. He most definitely realized intersectionality when it came to being queer because Bayard Rustin, if you're not familiar, there's going to be an amazing biopic that's dropping on Netflix very uh, very soon. Uh, Coleman Domingo is playing him. And Bayard Rustin was a queer black man on the uh, side, like literally Martin Luther King's right hand, wow. who was leading the charge when it came to civil rights and everything that we know now. So when we want to talk about this and, and literally erase black, queer, and trans folks from the experiences of civil rights, you are stupid. Stop talking and read a damn book. Well, he was on uh, the War Room podcast with Steve Bannon. Just stupid so, talking to stupid. You know. <laughs> okay, moving on to Fauci, who uh, on Sunday appeared on ABC's This Week discussing the future of COVID, saying this is not going to be eradicated. It's not going to be eliminated. What's going to happen is that we're going to see that each individual is going to have to make their calculation of the amount of risks that they want to take. Basically saying it's now up to Americans, not the government, to assess their own COVID-19 risk. Speaking of which, as he said that, Philadelphia announced today that it would reinstate its citywide mask mandate beginning April 18th due to rising COVID cases. With the decision, the city will become one of the only major American cities to require masks in public and it comes just over a month after they originally dropped the mandate moving to the all clear response so yeah it's really unfortunate that that's happening but at least they are responding in some way yeah and that was what's trending this hour what's happening in entertainment news ryan oh my god britney 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 uh there's a baby announcement that was just dropped but let me tell you why her fans are actually very confused yeah it's time for the tea report those pop culture stories trending right now i really want to find uh, the britney baby yeah where is it I'm, it's oh, baby, girl, baby, leave me baby. alone Shira. how was us not you to know <laughs> Here we go. Okay, so let's talk Britney. Um, is she having a baby one more time? You see what I did there? I love it. Wow. Britney Spears and her fiancé Sam uh, may be expecting just months after the end of her conservatorship. So she basically kind of announced this on Instagram today that she is pregnant, although some fans were confused by the wording of her cryptic posts. Hmm. Here it is. Quote, I lost so much weight to go on my Maui trip only to gain it back. I, I thought, geez, what happened to my stomach? My husband said, no, you're food pregnant, silly. So I got a pregnancy test and, uh, well... I'm having a baby. Four days what? later, I got a little more food pregnant. It's growing. If two are in there, I might just lose it. 
Then she wanted to explain that she won't be going out as much so the paparazzi can't take photos of her for money. And then she went on to also reflect on her experience with prenatal depression after having her son. She said, it's hard because when I was pregnant, I had prenatal depression. I have to say it was absolutely horrible. Women don't talk about it. Uh, Women didn't talk about it then. Some people have uh, considered it dangerous if a woman complained like that with the baby inside her. But now women talk about it every day. Thank Jesus we don't don't have to keep that pain a, a reserved proper secret. Hmm. I don't know, girl. Is she pregnant? Is it a food baby? Is it actually? Is it a burrito? Is it a real life? <laughs> you know, ten toes, five fingers, baby. I don't know. But everyone is it a subway foot long? Clearly, but I, Brittany, congratulations on whatever's in your damn stomach. That's your T report. <laughs> we got wedding news, engagement news coming Love up it. in the next T report. So I'm very excited about that. Okay. Well, next up, why moderate Democrats are breaking from Biden border policy. We've uh, got political reporter Amber Phillips from the Washington Post here to join us for that after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As the as the Biden administration has ended pandemic era border restrictions, it seems like moderate Democrats are siding with Republicans to reinstate them. And the Democratic chasm over this issue continues to grow. Joining us right now is political reporter Amber Phillips from the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Okay, so let's get into this because this all revolves around Title 42. Can you explain what Title 42 is? It is a controversial measure. It's not a law, but it is a public health code actually under the CDC that says the administration essentially can um, stop practices that have people crowding at the border because that more people crowding, you know, allows the spread of, of diseases like coronavirus. So this is put in place during the Trump administration at the start of the pandemic, uh, and it stayed in place throughout it and, and all the way up until this May in the Biden administration, controversially. And the Biden administration has said, well, let me say what it does, excuse me. Um, so what it does essentially is it says that instead of the government requiring, requiring to house anyone who comes to the border and says, I need asylum, you know, my, my home country's dangerous. The government normally houses them and sets a court date often months later and lets them go in America. It's often a, a great way for people to stay for a while and then try their luck at trying to, you know, get citizenship in America. Under Title 42, the government doesn't have to house them. They can't request asylum. And many of these migrants get sent on a plane sometimes the same day back to their home country under the pretense that having them at the border uh, would be too crowded and bad for public health. Okay, so this is the interesting thing because moderate Democrats and, of course, Republicans are actually really upset that Biden is, well, President Biden in the administration is finally ending this. Why is there such contention around ending this uh, Title 42? Yeah, well, let me say there was no way the Biden administration could keep this going much longer. Um, our economies opened up. As recently as January, they argued in court because civil liberties groups, civil liberty groups and progressives have sued to try to get this to stop. And as recently as January, they said, no, COVID is still really strong. But as their economy opens up, um, it be, just becomes untenable for the administration to keep this in place, especially since it's a Trump-era policy criticized by people in his base. But the effect of this is probably going to be more migrants at the border, migrants who suddenly realize they can now claim asylum. They're not going to just get set on a plane back home. Um, And so that will add to the, I would say, the public perception that the border is out of control or in chaos. Mm. Because for whatever reason, uh, migrants coming at the border have reached a peak Uh, record levels. And I talked to experts who said they think that part of that is once the administration shifted from Trump, who was like anti-immigrant, even legal immigration, to Biden, word spread among traffickers uh, and and among migrants themselves that this administration would be more welcoming. So people tried to come to the border. And right away, if you remember at the start of Biden's administration, that was a, a dark spot on his polling. Republicans said, look at look at all these people amassing at the border. It's out of control. Biden doesn't know how to handle it. Things kind of got more under control, at least more under the radar. And the Biden administration was able to ship a lot of people out using Title 42 
Well, they can't anymore. They won't starting next month. And so Democrats in particular are really concerned that this is just going to make them look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, in these red states, like there are Democrats running for reelection in New Hampshire or Nevada, they might not be on the border, but they're, they're reddish, purplish states. And that Republican attacks of, you guys are soft on immigration. Look at all these migrants at the border because they think Democrats are just going to let you in. Feels really, feels like it makes them very vulnerable. Well, yeah. And then Republicans. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like, well, Jen Psaki said it. This is uh, a way to. Uh, secure around like an, a health issue, not a uh, border, it, like not a border issue or a, a rule, right? Like this is right. for it was a health crisis, right? Public health. So wouldn't it have been smart for the Biden administration to take this away, Title Forty Two, and say, but in order to create more of a strategy at the border, here's what we're implementing instead? Like, yeah, is there that, anything that around that instead of just action. dropping it and saying, okay, let's figure it out? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Experts I talked to, I a similar version of that said. It's just really hard to take this away. Um, this has been the policy for a while. It has kind of been working to at least to mitigate the high numbers of people trying to cross at the border. And it, it's just it's just really hard to take a policy away that's been kind of the de facto border policy for what two years now. Yeah. And and then in addition, the Biden administration will say, well, what can we do at the border? Um, the you know the border patrol agency is underfunded. Congress won't give us the money. Um, you know Trump spent all this money on a wall that we personally, the Biden administration thinks is useless. Um, you know I really need Congress to help with these asylum policies because that's broken, and that's causing miscommunication that lead a lot of people to come to the border. Yeah. And so they're going. Well, what are we going to put in place to make this more manageable? And they, they do have a point there that the immigration system is you know decades old and as many politicians on both sides will acknowledge broken. And isn't this also what Vice President Kamala Harris was kind of put in charge of, like <laughs> to at? handle everything? And I and I do feel like it's unfortunate because she's been put in a situation that's a lot more complicated than just like, oh, all right, we're going to get up tomorrow and everything's going to be fixed. Right, exactly. She was tasked with dealing with the root of some of the reasons these migrants come to the border particularly in impoverished countries with a lot of violence like Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador. And I actually learned in reporting the story that those migrants from those countries are actually down. But the problem is that's only been replaced by uh, migrants coming from Haiti, for example, or there's still a ton in Mexico. Um, It's it's just like, it, you know, it's almost like whack-a-mole from the perspective of these Border Patrol agents and, and the Biden administration is there's always a crisis <laughs> in the world and, and, and in the region that's going to cause people to come at the border. We're just at a very unstable yeah. time. It seems like there needs to be some sort of sustainable solution outside of Title 42, but we don't have the solution today, that's for sure. That was a political reporter Amber Phillips from The Washington Post. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, what's coming up next, Ryan? Well, find out coming up next how Elon Musk just shook up Twitter and the complete internet and all these crazy headlines about the company. Find out more coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. The one thing about Elon Musk is, like, I know people, like, they care about what he does, even though I don't. But, like, it seems like if he does anything, it can, like, either cause, like, the happiest moment on Twitter mm-hmm. or the worst, like, shamble drama moment that we all should totally. be watching. Well, and just to give you some context, last week he became Twitter's largest individual shareholder. And he's now decided not to join the social media company's board and largest means 9% in this case. Uh, but to explain more is Kat Tenbarge, who's a tech and culture reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so can you explain this? He only owns 9% and it's it's the biggest majority, but would that mean he would typically end up on the board? And why isn't he? So essentially what Elon initially filed to do, um, he announced basically by filing through the SEC that he was going to uh, own 9.2% of the company. And what he initially filed as was as a passive investor. So as a passive investor, you don't necessarily have an active role in shaping the company. But what appears to have happened is that behind the scenes, um, Elon was having conversations with the other board members of Twitter uh, for weeks leading up to when this announcement happened last Monday. He actually made that purchase of that stock um, earlier 
uh, in March. So they had a little bit of a buffer before this knowledge became public to have some of these conversations. And as of last Monday, it seemed that both Elon and the other board members were all on board to go ahead and do this. Uh, And then what we saw happen was over the course of the last week, it seemed like the mood shifted. And we don't know what happened behind the scenes, but we do know that Elon was on Twitter tweeting a lot of really critical things about the company in the lead up to this sort of position swift switch. And uh, based on how Elon's behavior has sort of played out in the past, uh, back in 2018, he actually settled with the SEC over securities fraud that had to do with him tweeting about Tesla stock. And so Elon has a little bit of a history and a precedent for tweeting things that can get him and his companies in trouble. Um, and so sort of after this reverse announcement was made, he you know, was tweeting and deleting things and liking things that indicated maybe he wasn't happy that Twitter wanted him to stop tweeting critical things about the company. Yeah, because I, I guess I just wonder when Elon Musk is like tweeting these critical things, is it is it now Twitter's feel, feeling like, OK, do we say like, tell everyone what's going on, because it seems like Elon is kind of letting us know in through these coded ways of liking tweets. Uh-huh. What led up to us getting a statement from the t- a Twitter CEO on Sunday night? So the first statement that came out from the uh, Twitter CEO was last Tuesday when he first announced that Elon would be joining the board. And him and a bunch of other board members all put out congratulatory messages. Elon himself said, you know, I'm super excited to join and work together. The creator of Twitter, Jack, uh, put out a statement saying that he thought the CEO and Elon would make a great team. And then what we were able to publicly see from there leading up to this big switcheroo was Elon tweeting things like – (laughs) <laughs> he tweeted that he did not like Twitter Blue. He did not think that the features that you currently pay for with the Twitter subscription I mean, yeah. were very good. I don't agree with him about much, but he's right about that. I mean, he's a liability to the board. They're probably like, okay, this is not happening. This is going to be a mess right. and a headache. Exactly. He even tweeted, is Twitter dying? And then pointed out that a lot of the biggest people on Twitter don't tweet that frequently because they're but celebrities. Isn't that what you want, though? Like, if a board member to, like, tell you, like, if you, I would assume yeah, but the not reason, publicly. In a I, ma- I know, but I would also assume Elon Musk moves the same way about everything. So I would assume mm-hmm. they knew this is the kind, this is what they were getting when they started asking him to be more involved, especially in a serious position as being on, on a board. I completely agree. And it kind of makes you wonder. There's been some speculation. um, Like when Elon had those initial conversations in private over the past month, uh, it kind of raises the question, like, did Elon approach them and say, you know, I'm planning on buying a significant chunk of the company's stock uh, and therefore becoming the biggest shareholder? And so you guys are going to have to let me have some influence. Or maybe they approached him. Uh, and we're a little bit more cordial and we're like, well, you know, if you're planning on buying all this stock, we would like to have your input. Uh, but it does kind of illuminate that there's some murkiness and maybe some tension between Elon Musk and other big people in the tech industry like the other board members of Twitter. Yeah, and I think the worry was when this came out was that could he influence what is allowed on Twitter? I mean, you know, the, the democratic aspect of Twitter and what mm-hmm. we, we claim as free speech and what is then, you know, taken down, including when it's hateful. So do you think he'll have any influence on that? Have we heard anything? He easily could. Um, there is such a concept as an activist takeover, which can occur when somebody buys up all of the available shares in the company. Right now, it's not possible for him to do that because other people would have to sell their shares in order for him to buy them. Uh, but even in the statement that was put out last night, you know, the Twitter CEO indicated, you know, we're going to continue to pay attention to what Elon says. We do recognize that he's the biggest shareholder and we always listen to what our shareholders have to say. Um, What's also interesting about what Elon has kind of been saying and putting out there is Elon refers to himself as a free speech absolutist. Uh, He sort of puts on this portrayal of, you know, anything that anyone says goes. But when it comes to critiques of Elon himself, he's taken measures to stop people from being able to speak badly about him. Oh, my God, Kat. And we have about 30 seconds left here because that is such a good point. Because I do wonder, is there a moment where this could possibly backfire on Elon where, I mean, businesses and companies start not trusting him? And, I mean, he's the richest man. I don't think he cares. I mean, he probably doesn't care. But I do wonder, could this have a possible back, like, you know, a backfire situation happen? 
Yeah, if I were somebody in the tech industry and I saw what Elon got up to this week with Twitter, I would say, well, that was a total disaster. I would never want to engage in that kind of relationship with this man. (laughs) I mean, what in the succession episode is this? I am obsessed. (laughs) All right. Well, Kat Tenbarge, thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Kat, again, is a tech and culture reporter at NBC News. Next up, the internet is calling out a medical student who boasted about what she did to a patient who made fun of her pronouns. This is The Woke Gone Wrong next. Yes, we are back feeling that Monday music here on Channel Q and more to come. Let's go there. Right now, Channel Q. you, entertain you. We got our weekly recap in 15 minutes with Tony Moore. Yes, and we got tons to talk about. What an episode. One yep. more episode, and, and they're about to crown the queen. Okay. Two then weeks. What, what are we going to do after that? No Not more, this. No. no. <laughs> Maybe you'll start watching RuPaul's Drag Race. We'll, we'll do just the binge bring watch. Tony on to talk about We're the back seasons at that you're season watching. Season one. Yeah. And, uh, let's, that's you need, I mean, honestly, that could be fun. I think supposedly everyone told me to start at season two. You should. Anyway, plus, we got some Benefer news in the T-Report in a moment. Big news over the weekend, and we'll see if there's any updates right now as well. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. After the U.K. refused to include trans individuals in their ban on conversion therapy, a new report has come out revealing that nearly half of LGBTQ plus psychiatrists have experienced hostility at work because of their identity. The study by the representative body of the Royal College of Psychiatrists found that 48% of respondents said they had received negative treatment because of their sexuality or gender identity. The amount facing abuse was higher for LGBTQ plus psychiatrists from black, Asian, other minority backgrounds. From that, they're saying. So, if you're an LGBTQ psychiatrist, you experience hostility. If you're obviously black, Asian, other minority background, you're really more. And they also found that 58% uh, said that they had experienced bullying, harassment, and microaggressions. Mm. And it was released, of course, a week after the government did a U-turn on including trans people in a ban on conversion therapy. Wow. Yes. Moving on to what's happening right here, a Fox News uh, reporter, not Peter Ducey. <laughs> though he's always trolling, asked Jen Psaki if Biden wants to travel to the Ukraine. Here's what I'm not going to get into private conversations. Uh, what I will tell you is we're not uh, currently planning a trip um, by the president of the United States to Ukraine. What is most important to the Ukrainian leadership is that we are expediting weapons and getting them the assistance and security systems they need, and that is what our focus is on. And who decides if the president goes to Ukraine or not? In what way? He had said when he was in Poland that he expressed interest in going to Ukraine, but they wouldn't let me. So I'm wondering who. I'm not going to get into private considerations internally on that front. Okay. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has reiterated not just additional arms, but uh, close skies, no fly zone, as uh, Russian forces, while they are stalled, continue to just uh, create a lot of. a lot of destruction in Ukrainian cities and killed thousands of civilians 45 days into the war. You know, Jen Psaki, she sometimes steps in it, like, rarely, but, like, I just have to applaud her for her patience because oh, yeah. I would have been cussed somebody out. But then that's why I'm not this, you know, press secretary of the That is true. The that is a talent. <laughs> and uh, finally, well, switching over to another subject in the news. In February, Etsy CEO Josh Silverman told sellers transaction fees were going up from 5% to 6.5% or a 30% increase beginning April 11th. Wow. Well, now Etsy sellers are planning to do a strike. On April 11th, thousands of FC shops have committed to going into vacation mode, suspending sales for a little over a week in protest of those recent changes on the platform. They're also asking shoppers to refrain from buying on Etsy. And there's a campaign in support of the strike. It's received over 15,000 signatures in just over a week. Uh, More than 5,000 sellers have signed on to the strike. And you can check out that uh, or more on coworker.org where they have a link to that campaign. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. Benefit News dropped this weekend. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't know, that means you've been hiding in a cave. But, yeah, they are engaged. Ben, ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. I almost, like, called them just a one name, Benifer, which well, yeah. is their name. But um, clearly, they are engaged again after rekindling their romance last year to the delight of Benifer fans everywhere. 
Jennifer Lopez shared the news, um, which was pretty exciting. She shared the news in her newsletter. Uh, it's called On the uh, On the J Lo. Mm-hmm. You, you see, okay. you see what she did there. Yeah. Um, with a video clip of the tearful singer actress admiring what appeared to be an engagement ring. It's a large green stone. Um, basically, here is the announcement that she put on Twitter with another video message, adding a ring emoji to her handle. Here's what she had to say. It's actually very cute. Wait, is this it? Yeah. So I have a really um, exciting <laughs> and special story to share. Um, so if you're not part of my inner circle, uh, you have to go to onthejlo.com to hear this one. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it is my inner circle where I share my more personal things. And um, this one's definitely on the J-Lo. Girl, it ain't first, nothing but a pa- wait, damn Patreon. Yeah, yeah per- the, per- the personal thing that can make me money. I'm not I mean, giving you that information for free. I wouldn't either. You know how it's private they are. It's strategic, though. I get it. It's yeah. very interesting because you would think... Sometimes things like that, like uh, the Kardashians are pretty strategic and they're just posting pictures on Instagram. That don't mean that. J-Lo and the Kardashians are two different people in two different tax brackets. Right? Who's, I, no, I, I, I think don't. the Kardashians make more money. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need a Patreon there in case. Now, the couple gave their Romans, and I mean, but remember the Kardashians did kind of do something like that where they all individually had their own apps? Kylie had one, Kendall oh, totally. had one. Yeah, so they all kind of done that at one point. But the couple gave their Romans another go last year. Of course, we all know that. But Jennifer told people in February that she and uh, Ben, 18 years later, now have what it takes to go the distance. She says, we're older now, we're smarter, we have more experience, we're at different places in our lives. We have kids now, and we have to be very conscious of those things. Well, it's a blended family. That's your tea report. We got more coming up next hour. So many new blended families. All right, well, next up, we've got our weekly recap uh, with our drag race expert, Tony Moore. Stick around for that after this. Okay, so it's time for our drag race Let's recap. Go there. Yeah. And of course, Ryan we're getting our Q. pop culture drag race expert on the line. We are. But Shira, what? Um, I am just very happy to talk about this latest episode of Drag Race. And I'm very happy to bring on Tony Moore onto the show to talk about. It. Are you ready, Tony? I am always ready. How y'all doing? Happy Monday. We you were, know what? It's it's not the same without you. It's not the same without you. <laughs> and this episode was one to remember. It was the music video episode to Catwalk, which you're hearing right now. And the final five, Daya, uh, Angeria, Willow Pill, Bosco, and who else am I missing? Lady Camden. Yes. Lady Camden. What yes. did you think of Friday's episode? Listen, first of all, I always live for the music video uh, challenge because, you know, RuPaul always brings out a new hit every season, right? Um, But I felt like the girls brought it. I just feel like the one problem and issue that we have with this episode is that where someone is always supposed to stay and someone is always supposed to sashay away. And this has turned into a season of, well, let's just keep everybody. Yeah, you know what? That is really what it feels like, kind of like a participate, like a participation award type of situation. Yes, and very I'm bad. I'm a little well, over it. Well, do you feel like people like they deserve to be there, or just like pe- they're just trying to be nice this season? I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you you know, you always want your your favorite to to stick around, and that last lip sync was was going to be a doozy because I don't think anyone wanted to see Angeria or Willow Pill go. I think a lot of people were shocked when Bosco made it in. But um, but I think for the most part, at that point, the audience didn't want to see anyone go. But someone was supposed to go. So now we're just kind of like, all right, well, it's the top five. Yeah. Yay. You know what I mean? I mean, each one of the girls do deserve, you know, to be there and, and to still be a part. Yeah. But at some point... You know, somebody's got to go home because at the end of the day, only one of them will win. Well, now one will only win $150,000 because they decided to add a little bit. Which is wild. And, and then, 
Yeah, right? Like how all of a sudden y'all just going to add $50,000 and the runner-up gets some money too. So, listen, I'm sure those girls are glad they stick it around because now they have not one but two opportunities. Actually, three if they're miscongeniality, but we all know some people don't ain't going to get that um, to, yeah. you know, walk away with some money. Well, that's the thing, right? Let's uh, take it back because obviously they're preparing for this music video. There's so many plot twists because this season's full of twists. They're learning choreo mm-hmm. to then find out that they have to do the choreo immediately after and is messing up in these moments even with Adaya taking the note that Injuria was supposed to take in these moments did you have a clear like who was going to slay or who like was going to fail at this moment See, I knew that Lady Camden was going to slay yeah. because you could just tell she had that fire in her eyes. She's also a dancer so when you have that that ability already in you Someone can throw choreography at you and you're like, boom, five, six, seven, eight, what's next? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, and the key the key to this was to not get in your head. The key to this was to, even if you fumble, still continue to serve and sell it. And that was Angeria's problem. She knew that she wasn't a dancer. She knew that choreography wasn't going to be her strong suit, but she didn't have a plan B. Now, if, if you're that if you're that kind of girl, your plan B should just be sell it, serve it, ah, ah, and then just move on. If you pick up a step or two, do your best with it, and then just keep it moving and don't get in your head. So, but uh, but I definitely knew Lady Camden was going to slay it. I was actually surprised at, um, at, like, Daya. Like, she really served it, and she showed – you, you're supposed to listen and take a note. That's why she fell to the floor. And Jair was like, uh, uh, uh. Daya said, I got you. I'll do it. I'm trying to make it to the top. <laughs> yeah. Can I just be honest? I yes. am such a Daya fan. I feel like she has. Uh, she's one. She needs to be considered a look queen of this season. Her All of her looks have mm-hmm. been incredible. And then two, mm-hmm. she's just giving us a TV that we all deserve and honestly making it worth it that this season is so damn long. Right. Well, see, the thing is, is that I feel like they diet comes across as like the villain of this season. Well, when in all honesty, she's really saying what everybody is thinking. You know what I mean? She's just bold enough to actually say it. Everyone else is trying to be nice and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to watch what I say. Daya's like, no, all y'all feel the same way. So (laughs) supposedly uh, Daya revealed to Entertainment Weekly that she... Uh, cut a few jokes from her routine during the comedy challenge, but promises that some of them remain too controversial to tell, specifically roasting Ross Matthews. That was last week. Oh, I would just say. <laughs> so who do you think? Who do you, well, we didn't. We weren't talking necessarily. We were just talking in general. I'm just saying. In, but, but who do you think to is going to be yeah. the biggest, like, uh, who has delivered the biggest drama? I want to, like, who would win if it was drama? Dio. Yes. Die, if, if Daya won, everyone would gasp and clutch their pearls and go, what? Excuse me? All right. Who said what? What team are you on, though, as we wrap <laughs> this Yeah, that's up? the real what question. What team are you on? Team Daya, uh, Team Willow, Team Nigeria, Team Lady. Which team are you on at this moment? Team Bosco, I know you like her. I do. You know what? I'm going to be like RuPaul. I'm team everybody. Oh, <laughs> it is everyone. I mean, at this point, it is everyone's game. I have to agree with that. Tony Moore, thank you so much for joining the show for our recap. We'll see you back when it's time to talk yes. finale. It's our last one. All right. By the way, I let's hope, do it. I hope you're following Gloria Groove because she's officially surpassed RuPaul's Instagram's second most followed queen. Oh, that, okay. That was some well, we news. don't have to start following her. Slay. There you go. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, well, next up, we are moving on from Drag Race. Did you know who, too, who she is? It's... <laughs> Please. Close All right, it I'm going to close it out. Please. How this customer scammed DoorDash to get free food. While it's going viral, many people are saying it's wrong. That's next. Well, wouldn't it be nice to get free DoorDash delivery? Let's go there Uber with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Free food is always the best, right? Is it free food or a free delivery fee? Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's that was a two different thing. 
That That is true. Uh, there's a lot of these hacks online, including on TikTok, that have been recently posted where they talk about these chat rooms on Discord, which is just like a, a social media networking platform, right? Where they share these discount codes and hacks for free food from food delivery services. So it is like you get the free food, you get the first order for free maybe, right? Or it could be just a delivery service, but it seems like... Uh, it could be either, possibly, right? And a lot of people take advantage of this. They find out ways to use as many as possible. So every order is basically a discount or free. <laughs> right. Uh, and so this person got recently called out uh, because they said, like, oh, great, uh, you found a way to get free food. It's like POV. You found a way to get free food. And it had, like, almost 100,000 views, right? And a lot of people said... It's an old method, pretty easy to get caught. You're giving them your address. Also, you scam bare minimum wage workers to get some free food. So what is your take on this? Is it right to find the coupons, find the codes, and use them if there's a loophole? Or is it ethically wrong? Here's the thing. I'm all for a good discount code and a hack, and I'm always going to look for it. Because, yes, I understand. I, well, I didn't know that you you could be possibly scamming, you know, the people who are delivering your food. But, like, I would assume if I'm tipping them that they're yeah, still exactly. getting some money. That's the hope. And I still want to be able to get my discount if necessary. Like, you don't know how many emails I done created to be, like, the first order on these damn DoorDash and Grubhubs and Uber Eats so I can get a discount. <laughs> I have no, I got, like, 17 emails no, you alone just for that but now I can't use them because it's just that but I will say I you know if we're still like I said if we're still tipping the the person who's delivering our food there should be no issue I want to be able to get as like much of a discount as I can possibly do because I'm also spending my money and it can be very 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 expensive when you're thinking about it like sometimes places oh, have yeah. like five dollar delivery fees it adds up and, and it adds up to be like seventy dollars by the time you could be just ordering like a, a fifteen dollar <laughs> meal a hamburger yeah and it's just ridiculous and so I, you know what? As if you are paying them, like if you are uh, tipping them a, a nice little amount, then girl, use some discount codes and ignore what these folks are talking about. Yeah. So here's the thing. I I tend to agree, although I do support local businesses and they do need the money. The reason why things are so expensive is because of just inflation and and the surcharges and. Uh, like, you know, stuff that's we're importing. <laughs> Everything is expensive right now. So we got to support the small businesses. You don't want to be cheap. But if you find a discount out there and it could help, as long as I agree with Ryan, you're tipping, then that makes a difference. Yeah, like, girl. But, like, but then what happens? Who's paying the restaurant? Is it DoorDash? It better be. That's what I'm talking about. The big companies my better be paying. Period. All right, so Miley Cyrus's parents, Tish Cyrus and Billy Ray Cyrus. Let's go there uh, with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 30 years. Wow. Miley's mom has reportedly filed for divorce. And um, it's quite interesting because, yes, they've been together for 30 years, but this is like the third time that Tish has filed for divorce from Billy Ray Cyrus. No, third time's a charm. Third time's <laughs> clearly a charm. She filed the court documents in Tennessee last week, and she wrote in these court documents, which uh, she was filing due to irreconcilable differences. The couple has five children together, including Miley, and this is the third time one of them has filed for divorce. Which brings us to the question... How much, how many times do you need to, to file for divorce to know that this might not work out? It's one of those things. I wonder what their therapist says. I'm assuming they have a couple's therapist. I no. hope so. But, I mean, I give them credit for continuing to come back together. That really? takes a lot. But then, yeah, at a, Imagine at, the, at a certain point, yeah, like how much chaos is going on that you need to the question it that many times. Yeah. And go that far because once you've gone that far that that's a big 
step. Yeah, they have a joint statement that was uh, released exclusively to people that says, we have grown up together, raised a family mm. we can be so proud of, and it is now time to create our own paths. We will always be family and look forward to continue and uh, continue the loving, shared experiences as friends and parents. We have not come to this decision lightly or quickly, but with so much going on in the world, we want to provide some clarity and closure so we can remain focused on what is important with love and hope, Tish and Billy Ray Cyrus. First of all, yeah, there's a lot going on in the world, and I can promise you, your divorce is not top five. <laughs> That's it's always an interesting thing. I think it's more like, we know we're announcing this, and who knows if anyone cares, You're but like, it's happening. We know there's a war going on in Ukraine, but we hey, just got to set the record straight our, for everyone. Our relationship's on the rocks. <laughs> Uh, like what? You know. But yeah, third time, three times, it feels a bit much. Like maybe even after the second time, how much it should have been a done deal? <laughs> yeah, how much of a sign do you need to have to know it's not working necessarily? Hey, girl. But you know, I I think it's hard for us to know. We both have haven't been married. Marriages are not easy. But I know when I don't like somebody. <laughs> Wouldn't they know? How many times do you need to call it off? But again, you never know what happens, right? Yeah. And and also, they're entertainment people. Right? I feel like when you're in this world in Hollywood, you do things differently. Yeah. In 2010, Billy Ray filed for divorce uh, say, and and then revoked oh. it less than oh. six months so, later. So they he did was a ping pong. One. So he did it, she did and it, then, she then did, they're yeah. doing it together. Literally, literally. Okay. Yeah. You know, I guess they both have to be on the same page. Either way, sounds toxic to me and explains a lot about the Cyrus children. <laughs> just listen to the music. Literally, just listen to the damn music. <laughs> okay, coming up next on the show, and we're wishing them all the best, of course, beyond our laughing. We're entertained. You know, again, there's worse things happening in the world. So um, good on them and hope. I mean, 30 years is a long time. Yeah, exactly. And and we wish them continued success in their lives. Anyway, next up, a Disney heir comes out and speaks out about the company in the midst of the continued controversy over the Don't Say Gay Bill. We'll tell you what they had to say next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 